No matter how dire shit is, artists always make work, and that's actually the thing that's most important to me. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Today, one of the swiftest rising stars in the art world is a 26-year-old wunderkind photographer who is equally comfortable shooting heads of state for magazine profiles as he is putting together shows for the gallery context. Of course, I'm talking here about Tyler Mitchell, who gained international fame when Beyonce tapped him to be the first black photographer to shoot a cover for Vogue and has now moved on to having surveys at the International Center of Photography and, beginning last month, appearing in a group show at the very buzzy Jack Shaneman Gallery's outpost in Kinderhook, New York, called The School. Adding to the excitement around the show is the fact that it was curated by none other than Helen Molesworth, one of the most prominent curators in the country, who is known in particular for her groundbreaking reinstallation of the Museum of Contemporary Art Los Angeles' collection and her ongoing mission to highlight artists of color. So, what's going on with the show at The School? To find out, Artnet News art and design editor Noor Brara sat down with both Tyler Mitchell and Helen Molesworth to discuss how the show, entitled Feedback, came to be, how they grew to trust each other while working together, and what advice they'd give aspiring youngsters hoping to have careers in the art world one day. Without further ado, here's Noor. Hi, Helen and Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Art Angle podcast. How are you both doing and where are you at the moment? Thank you so much, Noor. And hey, Tyler, it's so great to see you and talk to you. I am speaking to you right now from my home in Los Angeles, where I have recently returned from a month in New York. So I'm feeling really good and super, super happy to be back in L.A. And also super happy that there are two coasts and that I'm fortunate enough to move between them. Absolutely. And Tyler, what about you? It's funny because Helen and I are trading coasts. Um, I've just spent close to a month in Los Angeles for the first time in 14 months. I haven't been in Los Angeles since just before the pandemic started. I was there for close to a month, and this is my first day back in New York. My plan was to go be in Kinderhook at school on opening day of feedback, but my ankle had other plans, so <laughs> I fractured it and uh, decided to heal and stay in Los Angeles, which was nice. So yes, as you mentioned, Tyler, we're here today to talk about Feedback, which is the group show that you, Helen, organized for Jack Shaneman Gallery at the school, which features the work of you, Tyler, as well as 21 other incredible artists. To start, maybe, Helen, you could tell me a little bit about how you conceived the idea for Feedback and sort of what that process was like. So I guess it's almost really three years ago now, Jack Shaneman reached out to me and said, come and see us upstate. And I went upstate and they took me to their spot, the school, which is a 1920s decommissioned school building in Kinderhook that they bought and renovated. And I went to see the space and just fell in love with the space. It's just like a very, very beautiful building and a very sensitive renovation in which they left some rooms with all of the patina of the sort of fallen grace of the space. And then some rooms they really made into these gorgeous white cubes. Some space have a lot of architectural incidents and others don't. And the space really reminded me 
of pretty much every public school building I've been in as a kid. I'm a native New Yorker and I grew up in those kinds of public school buildings. And I had this like really intense auditory hallucination in the space where I felt like, oh, I can still hear the kids in this building, which sort of quickly reminded me of this piece I had seen by Janet Cardiff and George Bress Miller that I'd seen in 2004, which was a big amp with a Wawa pedal. And you put your foot on the Wawa pedal and this crazy sound comes out of the amp. And it's very off-putting at first, and you really have to stick with it to sort of keep almost immersing yourself like you do in a hot tub. You just have to keep going in and in. And then when you finally got it, what you get is Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner, the Woodstock version. And then pretty much uniformly to a person I've seen engage with this piece, the minute you understand that what the thing is, everybody puts their foot all the way down on the wah-wah pedal and it's like, oh, bring it. They're just there for this explosion of energy that seems to course through your body. Somewhere in the crosshairs of that, I wanted to make a show. It was very organic. I was really looking at artists whose work I'd been following that I wanted to do something with, artists who were younger, who were kind of at the beginning of a thing and thinking about that, artists who I thought were just really doing innovative things in terms of form. I just kind of let it go. It was a very intuitive process of organizing a show, which for me was very new and different. And I really sort of embraced it and ran with it. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, how you approach these artists about the show and how you explain to them what your vision was. What were their responses? Did you meet any kind of resistance along the way? What were you kind of looking for in the work? I'm sure my approach to the artist was sort of bumbling and incoherent because I felt kind of bumbling and incoherent for the whole time I was working on the show. Normally I have a thesis and I'm very directed and I want specific objects for specific reasons to do specific things, to go in specific places. I was sort of playing a game with myself, like how open could I be? How improvisational could I be? How maybe the show would be, instead of offering an argument, it would offer a proposition. I was trying to be pretty loose. To my great pleasure, the artists were incredibly supportive of this looseness and trusting, which I also found very flattering. And everyone I talked to was just kind of like, all right, I'm game. And then the pandemic happened. And there was definitely a moment where I was like, fuck. You know, between the global pandemic and the failure of the Democratic Project, perhaps we should call this show off. But then people just sort of hung with me. And I also realized that even though I thought everything was different, actually, much to my great melancholy, everything's totally the same. You know, the Democratic Project's been a failure, maybe from the Jump Street and... You know, there are all kinds of global pandemics, racism and sexism and homophobia being prime among them. They're pretty global. They're pretty steady. So, you know, I just sort of swallowed it and we all persevered, which I think is actually what's so great about art, that no matter how dire shit is, artists always make work. And that's actually the thing that's most important to me. 
Definitely. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited to ask you some more questions about some of the other things you mentioned a little later in this conversation. But before we get into all of that, I'm curious, Tyler, how did you feel when Helen was organizing the show and talked to you about presenting some of your work and what led you to essentially say yes? It's funny because I feel like this was a real moment of serendipity and kind of many parties that I respect coming together. I've always had a relationship to Jack Shaman because I've been living in New York City for eight years. I went to NYU. I was a film major, but I took a lot of courses under Deborah Willis's tutelage. Deb, of course, introduced me to Hank, introduced me to the gallery, you know, and I was just kind of always around. Mm -hmm. So I've just always been going to the gallery and have been an admirer of their program. And basically, we started kind of chit-chatting and talking just before the pandemic when my show at ICP opened in late January of 2020. To be honest, Jack came to see the show and I kind of watching his reaction, wasn't sure if he liked the work, you know, and someone Mm -hmm. gets a bit of a stoic response and you're like, I'm not sure how this is going to go down. But we kept on talking and we just had very genuine, earnest conversations about my work. And he was interested in my work. You know, one thing that I kind of said to him off the cuff was, I would love to do some sort of big laundry line installation in the school. Just said it to him, didn't think too much of it, but then it maybe manifested itself because then Helen and I separately started talking about work and ideas. And I respected Helen hugely. You know, I just went to the Noah Davis show just before galleries and museums closed. I was very familiar with Helen's curatorial work before that. Basically, it was like three parties coming together at the right time, right place. It just made sense. Helen called me and was like, hey, I'm doing the show feedback. I have these artists involved. I would love to kind of place your laundry line. I remember in conversation with these other artists, and I remember her telling me about the sculptures Karan Davis was making, which were kind of these narrative sculptures. I call them narrative sculptures. I don't know what Karan would call them, but they <laughs> give me like slices of life. They give me stories. They kind of freeze frame these moments of motion and joy of these kids like double dutching. And so like I was already excited by that conversation and I was obviously excited by Karan's work and the other artists. And also like this is kind of tangential, but the school is such like a narrative space. When I went and visited there, you could feel the history of the space and the building. And right. but you could also feel that it was such a space that had so many possibilities for like a narrative driven experience than like a specific white cube kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that the laundry line is so perfect and exciting in that space because it references the domestic, it references subjectivity in viewing photography, and it references like, well, it brings you to a state. Helen had an auditory hallucination in the school. Like, Mm -hmm. I hope that people like in seeing the laundry line have some sort of like visual hallucination, like that reminds them of like their mother hanging their laundry line somewhere or even just encountering a laundry line anywhere, you know, in the South or in the world. Definitely. I love that. I'm curious how you would describe your experience working with one another and why you felt it was successful. Maybe, Helen, you can start. What did you enjoy most about working with Tyler? It's funny because I don't think I quite knew or I didn't remember that Tyler had wanted to do a laundry line at the school, sort of independent of me, because I had started talking with Tyler about this other project, this like little project that I would love to do with him that I haven't found a home for yet. But I had seen when I was in New York right before the shutdown, I had seen the ICP show and I had seen another show organized by Antoine Sargent that Tyler was in. And I was just starting to realize that there was this new group of photographers working out there. And I found that 
the images I kept being drawn to were Tyler's images. There's a certain kind of play with color, certain forms of composition, and a certain kind of attention, particularly to the black male body that I just hadn't really seen images like that before. And, you know, I realized I kept being arrested by images by the same person, right? Started to pay attention. And somewhere in there, I asked about the laundry line. And I guess what I appreciated was the trust. The piece showed up. None of us at the school, and I'm talking about the group of people that helped to install the work, you know, we kept joking, like, never installed photographs on a laundry line before. Like, you know, we really had to sort of make it up in a way as we went, like we had to sit with it and like figure out like, oh, okay, what's the system? Like, how are we going to do this together? And then at a certain point, like once we started doing it, we just got into a flow too. So that made me realize, oh, the work has a logic unto itself that we stayed open enough to the, I think we figured out that logic. And so I realized that it wasn't only Tyler trusting me, that it was Tyler trusting that this very unusual thing, which is to hang photographs on a laundry line, is also a completely, like, everybody knows how to hang a laundry line. Like, everybody knows how to do that. And so there's that combination of novelty, trust, and generosity that somehow work together. And then even there was a moment where he was like, oh, you know, one of them's backwards, one of them's the wrong orientation. I was sending photos as we were doing it. And even that made a certain kind of sense. I was like, oh yeah, of course. There was one where we had hung something with just one clothespin and Tyler was like, you know, I think it should have two. And I haven't told Tyler this story yet. And I had come in the next day because something had been changed. We had changed something per Tyler's specs and something ended up on one clothespin. And I'd seen the one clothespin and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that one clothespin thing. And then I thought, Helen Ann Molesworth, that is like you rearranging the dishwasher after your wife has left the kitchen. (laughs) Which, of course, everyone who's married understands. That's just the realm of intimacy is, are you in a relationship where you fight about the dishwasher? Or are you in a relationship where both people understand that once you leave the room, the dishwasher will be rearranged? I happen to be in the latter kind of relationship, you know, so it's just funny. Like it had a logic and I didn't want to be like bossy boots about the two clothespins. And then sure enough, Tyler was like, I think you would look better with two clothespins. And we were like on it, two clothespins it is. Of course you want two clothespins on that. Anyway, so I think what I enjoyed was that spirit of even when something is so new, this feeling that it's still within this realm of deep human communication. And Tyler, what about you in working with Helen? Her answer is kind of exactly what I am happy to hear. I'm even happy that like something like engaging with the laundry line can like conjure narratives like the dishwasher, you know, like that's the whole purpose. It's meant to have an ease and an approachability. It's meant to give a certain sense of subjectivity. So I'm excited to like entrust this to a curator who knows what they're doing, who knows where things go. And the communication was just very like, I trust this, like I trust you, you know, like that was really the base of it. I think at one point there was a potential for it to be in like the downstairs, like basketball court. I actually was so glad that it ended up in the long hallway that it ended up in. Like the idea of it hanging in this big basketball court, as exciting as it was like to start verbally, it like, it doesn't make sense to be so high. It should be low and you should be weaving through it. And so like, even the fact that like Helen instinctively made that call. And then I was like, 
oh yeah, no, that is where it started. That's like where the impulse came from. And that's like how it should be hung. Like Helen was saying, I think she kind of found the logic for it. Like I didn't want to be overbearing with this sort of a work. So I think sometimes an artist does, but sometimes it's like fun to be like, how is a curator going to approach this? Especially if something that has as much subjectivity as that work does. That's awesome. Just to kind of ask you a little bit further about that work, Tyler, sort of in the broader lineage of everything that you've done the last few years, you've, of course, chronicled historic moments in fashion history and beyond that. The first Black photographer to shoot a Vogue cover, featuring Beyonce, no less, and more recently Kamala Harris, who is the first female vice president, also a woman of color. And then your ICP show, I Can Make You Feel Good, was met with a ton of rave reviews. So after all of these projects, can you tell me a little bit about what you wanted to say with this work specifically and how you're hoping people engage with this work in the show? The impulse first came from responding with what to do physically with ICP's 60-foot hallway space. I like that it came out of these constraints or like boundaries spatially, but I'd been thinking about the idea of printing on quotidian surfaces for like a long time. I think one quality of my work that I really admire and try and hold on to and try to continue is a sense of narrative, a certain like allusion to the cinematic and transportative Mm -hmm. quality. And like doing that immediately, like Helen was saying, like conjure stories for people. I was also just in a really great conversation with Amy Sherald. And like we were both talking about how can our work kind of allow for people to feel at rest when they look at our work. So I just think the laundry line, again, conjures up emotions of the familiar. And so it just started to click in and make sense. It started to feel like a natural progression from the work I'd been making, right, in the fashion world and personally. The images themselves are a mixture of commissioned and personal works. They are moments that are like potentially like uncohesive in like location or year that they were shot, but like cohesive Mm -hmm. aesthetically or cohesive like thematically. And they are mostly like young black folks that I photographed over the past four or five years, either resting and in states of repose or in states of embrace or in active states of like enjoying leisure time, whether that's blowing a bubble gum into the sky, like ecstatically or like mock boxing each other in like the fields of Walthamstow. So like each image also is contains like its own narrative world. I'm happy so far with the response from it. People immediately get it and they kind of immediately also bring their own personal history to it, which I love. I can really attest to the cinematic quality of it too, which I'm not sure I totally had that down before installing the work. And then it reminds me a lot of being in Venice, Italy, you know, that moment where you'd look down the corner and there's this beautiful laundry line happening. The other thing is that there's a moment at the school where it turns the corner and you come out of it through this last very exquisite image of a woman It's on this incredibly gossamer, translucent piece of iridescent fabric. So the woman almost looks like there's this art historical term called the sudarium, which is the cloth that it supposedly has the image of Jesus's face. So she's there and she's got this afro that's sort of almost like an angel's halo at that moment. There's just all kinds of like illusions and you come through it. You see what's happening next, but... It just, to me, almost felt like that beautiful moment in cinema where the cinematographer, the director, like, slows down the time to slow motion, like, so that you can have this, like, aching sense of beauty, you know, and it just is like, oh, and so this cinematic quality of the work is much stronger in real life than I expected it to be, so I think that that's, I think you can even push that, man, like, that quality of what you're doing is rich. 
also wanted to ask you both about the timeline of the opening of the show, which, of course, like many exhibitions, was derailed by the pandemic. What did the pandemic mean to each of you in regards to how you look at art? Um, and how did it change your experience of the exhibition? I remember asking Helen this question specifically about the show. And I remember really respecting her answer, which was like, I don't know if it's going to change the impetus or the impulse of the show. Like the show is still the show. I want to make a great art show and make it as great as it can be. And like make it with the artists that I respect and want to include. And that was also because Helen, you were like, I still feel like the themes of these works are still prescient. You know, that was it. To answer your question about like creativity in the pandemic. I remember feeling like the first three months personally and potentially selfishly a wave of inspiration having to do with cinema and movies. I was watching like two to three movies a day and absolutely loving it. I was doing these movie nights, which I called Nights at the Cinema, and I was able to like curate or video DJ for long periods of time. My favorite videos that were like cross genre, cross boundaries, feature films, music videos, short films, Howard Dina Pindell's Free White and 21, and like everything in between, like institutional films, Khalil Joseph's Black News. And I was able to like stream it together on my computer screen for like an online audience. And that was such a amazing, like different creative outlet than the rest of my like fashion or photographic or like film practice. But then I just hit a wall after June, really, after George Floyd and after the uprisings and protests. After all of that, I did not realize how much that like took a toll on me psychologically and like completely like left me like bereft of inspiration. I was just tired and just wanted to rest and spent three months of the year after that in London, where someone who I was in a relationship with lives, but also where I was felt a lot better psychologically. Can I ask you a little bit about why London in particular provided you that solace? Was it just being away from everything happening in in the U.S.? I mainly went there for the person I was seeing at the time and went there not being like, oh, I, I need to leave. But once I got to London, I was like, I just feel lighter. I feel able to think and breathe and able to have distance from New York City right now. Maybe that wasn't even by function of what was going on in the world, but maybe it was only because I was sitting in my 500 square foot apartment in Brooklyn for the three months prior. So it's hard to even like pin down. But I think that whether it was some combination of London or romance or being able to like commingle with other American artists who were in London who also felt similarly or just the previous three months cooped up in my apartment, like all of the change of scenery like helped me largely. And Helen, what about you? Sort of how did the pandemic shape not only just how you view art and the show, but your worldview and how you felt? For the first three months, I was like, I don't have to do shit. Like, this is crazy. And I'm just going to take my foot off the gas and see what happens. I mean, for me, the events of the summer were that kind of crazy best of times, worst of times. I mean, I, as a matter of course, do not watch the news. I don't watch snuff films on TV or the internet. I refuse that kind of violence in my life. And so I was just way more focused on all the people who were in the street. And there was a moment there where I felt hopeful, you know, I mean, it gave me a moment of, oh, this is so huge and it's so mixed and it's so intergenerational. And I had a little moment of maybe this is the big reset. The world had to be stopped. And now this reset can happen. 
for me, the, the roughest moment actually came around the insurrection when it was just so clear how deep the fascism is. One could no longer pretend that this was radical freaks or oligarchs with shitty politics trying to protect their tax dollars. It's just so clear that the fascism of the Trump administration had really taken hold in powerful ways. And I don't think I've ever felt darker or less hope about the United States. So there was that, you know, it might sound corny, but the late great Toni Morrison, it seems to me, said it all when she said one of the most devastating effects of racism is that it takes you away from your work, takes all of us away from our work. As hopeful as I might have been about all the people in the street, I also know that they didn't get to do their work for that time. You know, at some level, this wasn't my first pandemic. I lived through the HIV AIDS pandemic, and I know all too well who loses in a global pandemic. It's poor people and black and brown people and homeless people and junkies and gay people. It's always the marginalized people. So after that insurrection, I confess, I got kind of pissed and I was like, I'm just going to let these motherfuckers take me away from my work. And I sort of doubled down in my commitment to my own work, my own writing projects, and also my shows. Art is long. The art made now will outlive all of these shenanigans. And these shenanigans have been going on since the beginning. So I tried to stay real close to the Toni Morrison moment of like, I am not going to let these people waste my time. I kind of want to turn it now um, a little bit back to the show. Helen, you mentioned in your gallery statement, quote, I was curious about what kind of knowledge we might be able to produce together that people make things to help us learn things, that allow us to think things, that help us to ask questions, that propel us to make things. So I'm curious, was there a common thread or particular learning that emerged from the show for each of you? And what do you want people to take away from it at the end of the day? I think I'm still trying to figure so much of the show out at that level. I think that one of the things the show shows me is persistence of narrative, this persistence of the drive in human beings to tell themselves a story about what happened or how they got there, or who they are. And that if you grow up, particularly, I think if you grow up white in America, you have like a lot of really faulty information. There's a lot of hot air in that system. And so like what happens when you work with a group of people who in various ways are addressing the falsehoods, the omissions, the unethical statements, and like what happens. And so I think one of the things that happens in feedback is people really fall back on form and they are pushing and exploring form as a way to tell different stories. I think people also fall back on a certain kind of tenderness. There's a couple of works in the show that are really scary, but they also have a tenderness in them about what it means to have the fear, fear of violence, fear of just the disintegration of equality or the inability to achieve equality. I think what it shows us is that there is nothing without the quotidian, like the everyday is the ballast of the ship 
and how you roll in your everyday. That's really important. And that's an old feminist lesson. The personal is political. Maybe you don't want to wear those politics on your sleeve, but how you wear your personal ethics on your sleeve is crucial in this moment. That was a refrain in the show that felt very strong to me. And Tyler, sort of the same for you. Is there a particular learning or something common that you felt came away from all of the work in the show? I need to go see it in person. So that is a mission I'm going to make very, very soon. I saw enough and know enough about all the artists involved. And I'm still going back to that idea of like excitement that the space brings me and the excitement that this work within that space brings me. Like each object that I'm seeing in the show, like is transporting me somewhere. Like Lauren Halsey's sculptures are like transporting me to South Central Los Angeles. Karan Davis's sculptures are like transporting me to childhood. They're transporting me to like specific Black childhood, you know, and like narratives around my own upbringing, but a a sort of collective moment or collective upbringing as well. There are obviously so many young people in the art world who are fans of you both and the work that you do. Tyler, I know you just did a masterclass, just launched that, which is pretty great. I wonder if each of you could share a piece of advice for some young people, maybe Helen, for people who are hoping to be curators or aspiring curators and Tyler for young photographers. It's nice that you brought up the masterclass thing because I was nervous about sharing so much there, but am coming out on the other side of it very glad I did that because of the immense response. I don't think enough about the kids who like really need to hear or get a glimpse into like what I'm doing. And also like right. being young and sharing that in real time like allows other young people to feel empowered. So I just think I just want to continue to do that like transparency of information and like basically opening up my process as much as I feel comfortable and as much as is helpful to other people is like always going to be a part of my work as well. In terms of advice for young photographers, the drive to like make the most deeply personal images possible. That's the most important impulse for me that I think makes strong images. Like Helen was saying, we're not going to know if if even my images, if they're going to last like 50 years from now. But I think the most personal stuff seems to be the most transportive for me. The moments of washcloths in the laundry line, the moments of fashion in in my work. That's what I encourage like photographers lean into. And I think we like spend so much time like pushing down those weird things that actually should be right in the surface of our work. You know, we're like, oh, uh, nobody wants to see that like dumb, ugly plant on like my windowsill. But like, You know, that's exactly what Wolfgang Tillmans is doing. So for other young photographers, all my favorite photographers make deeply personal work. And I would just encourage that. I guess I would have two pieces of advice. One is something that the photographer Moira Davey told me when I was, I think, probably in my late 20s. And I was writing my dissertation and I was complaining how, like, no one understood what I was trying to do. And I was very insecure and didn't know how to proceed and I felt very unseen because I wasn't writing a kind of normal dissertation like my peers were writing and Moira in her very like subtle laconic way said you know Helen you can only do your own work and I think it sort of rhymes with something that Tyler's saying like you can only make your own work you can't make work like somebody else You can't follow another person's path. You have to figure out what it is you want to do and then figure out how to do that. I mean, I feel really lucky that I grew up pre-internet. I don't have the ego that stood the amount of negativity that happens on the internet. 
but you got to block that shit out. You got to figure out why you want to do what you do and then figure out the way to do it. And for me personally, one of the ways I was able to do that was I really love going to museums and I know museums are in for a hard time right now, rightfully so. They've been involved in some pretty heinous shit and no buts, only and they're filled with stuff worth looking at. They're filled with stuff made by other people and that person with their brain and their two opposable thumbs wanted to make something and somewhere along the line, somebody thought it was worth saving for somebody like you, exactly you to look at. And that is nothing to sneeze at, man. Art is really long. The superpower of art, it seems to me, is its capacity for time travel. So like, go and look at the old stuff as much as you look at the new stuff. All of that belongs to all of us. I really do believe that if you're an artist, all of it belongs to you. You get to look at and think about whatever it is your curiosity leads you to. Don't let anyone cut off the ring of your curiosity. It's too valuable a human instinct to be trifled with by somebody who's trifling. Thank you both so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure to speak with both of you about the show and beyond. And I'm I'm excited to to check out the show in person myself. Yeah, thank awesome. you. And Tyler, thank you so much for being in the show. The thank work you. is so gorgeous. I can't wait till you see it. That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. And if you have some feedback or maybe a recommendation for a future episode, go ahead and email us at podcasts at artnet.com. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.